0: What if all of life, what if vocation is family and family is vocation and what you choose to do in cultivating a home, creating family, recovering family, becoming family for orphans and widows is actually the primary energy of what you bring into eternity. And that's the energy you bring into the other depth and dimension of your kingdom. friends it's morgan and welcome back to another episode of the become good soil podcast over the year we're journeying with the become good soil intensive alumni and all the applicants for our upcoming become good soil intensive through some quarterly online gatherings guys calling in from all around the world to pray together to dive into deep big categories of masculine initiation to dialogue to risk, and to go after the more. And in a recent call we hosted in May, we went after this topic of blurring the lines between vocation and family. It's a topic that I've been diving deep into over the last year, praying about, thinking about, asking men about, and really challenging um, my worldview and allowing the scriptures and the life of God to interrogate me, to expose unfinished places and parts of me that are not fully in alignment with God and his kingdom. You know, Peterson says in the introduction to the book of Nehemiah, he says, separating life into distinct categories of sacred and secular damages, sometimes irreparably, Any attempt to live a whole and satisfying life, a coherent life with meaning and purpose, a life lived to the glory of God. I think in the same way that we try to divide between sacred and secular, we try in the modern era in the Western world to divide vocation and family. It was a topic that we took some risks with, and as I prayed about it, it felt like some of the conversation um, in the teaching, I really felt impressed to bring to our larger tribe of the Become Good Soil podcast community. And so we're going to dive deep into this live teaching that I hosted. And in this teaching, we dive into film clips where I've included some of the audios of these clips. They're just fantastic scenes borrowing from Patch Adams to Act of Valor. There's a beautiful montage of these heroic, epic film moments from films like Braveheart and Henry V and Any Given Sunday, if you're familiar with that great football film. So sit back, relax, and tune in with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are some treasures coming, and we're diving deep. Let's go.
1: Father Jesus, Lord, we just come to you and we just stop and we pause and we just kind of clear the decks of everything and breathe and just slow the pace of our life for this next 90 minutes that we are so thankful to have as a tribe of men. And Father, we just consecrate this time to you. There's something unique you wanna say to each one of us as men. And we just open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to receive what it is you have for us today. And Father, we just bless this time, may it be a holy time where you come and move in a powerful way Yes, for each one of us, where we can come out of this with our tanks more full than they were when we started. And Father, we just bless this ministry and bless Morgan and thank him for his leadership and the materials and the hard work that you put into him that blesses each one of us. So come and be with us and speak in a mighty way, we ask Mm -hmm. in your name. Jesus, Father,
2: Holy Spirit, we love you and we worship you and we pause and um, just choose to step into your heart and into your kingdom and your reality a little more right now. Um, I bless these men and I stand with these men as one man. We say no to all sabotage in all darkness, in the name of Christ Jesus. And we commit the technology, the space in our homes or wherever we find ourselves in this call, our facial expression, our body language, our words, our actions, we commit it to your way, your will, and your kingdom, Jesus Christ. And pray that each man on this call would be deeply rooted and firmly established on your love. God, that over the next 90 minutes and as we go our separate ways, that we would all see and smell and taste and hear and touch the love of God and that the love of God would make us mighty and kind, strong and loving, full of hope and joy and laughter and honesty. In Christ Jesus' mighty name, amen.
0: Amen. Man, that's good. It's just a fresh reminder to be with the like-hearted. Like, it changes everything. Thank you, Conrad. Thank you, Richard. I want to start with a clip um, just to orient, to bring us in, to let our hearts rest and show up. So Alex is going to take us into the opening scene of Patch Adams.
3: are coming home. Salesmen, secretaries, coal miners, beekeepers, sword swallowers, all of us. All the restless hearts of the world, all trying to find a way home. It's hard to describe what I felt like then. Picture yourself walking for days in a driving snow. You don't even know you're walking in circles. The heaviness of your legs and the drifts. Your shouts disappearing into the wind. How small you can feel. How far away home can be. defines it as both a place of origin and a goal, or destination. And the storm? The storm was all in my mind. Or as the poet Dante put it, in the middle of the journey of my life I found myself in a dark wood, for I had lost the right path. Eventually I would find the right path, but in the most unlikely place.
0: I remember when Patch Adams came out and I remember that scene and it pierced my soul and it it took years to figure out why I was so impacted. I mean, I was captured by that film just from that opening scene, that idea that all of life is a coming home and that that haunting sense is home is an origin and it's a destination. All the restless hearts trying to find their way home. There's two central questions I want to offer you, and they're to begin with today, but they're really bookends, and they're meant to be a framework for the decade um, of one of the big ideas of what does it feel like to be in your home? And I want you to write these down. What does it feel like to be in your home? And what does it feel like to be home? Those are very different things. One is when you put yourself in your home, in your family system, what does that feel like? Right? For the for example, you know, Sherry told me in a counseling session that I move the family around the, the, the house with my eyes, and I don't even know it. And the kids will kind of follow my mood. And so if I'm in if I'm spent and exhausted, Joshua tries to buoy. The atmosphere of the house to try to bring it up, um, because they cue off my mood. What does it feel like to be in my home? But then the question of what does it feel? What does home feel like? I was on a hillside with the aspen leaves just budding this past weekend, at about eight thousand feet. I was in the sagebrush hill slope with uh, fresh scrapes from uh, antlered elk from this fall. And I laid in the field and I felt home. There's no geography that my body feels more at home than high alpine mountain elk country. So those are two really important questions. We began last session, our second of of the year, um, or our first of the year together with this idea of maternal deprivation and secure attachment. And really today is part two of that. And so I want to build on this idea of how do we reattach to God? And what does that look like in our maturation process? And, and I want to explore this idea of vocation and family. And I'm I'm digging deep with, with some big kind of concepts that I want to entrust to you as you think about your apprenticeship in becoming a king. And so in this gathering this question of what if family is vocation? Okay, so that's where we're gonna to get to. I'm introducing it with the concept of home and I wanna challenge our thinking. What if family is vocation? And I could have said it a, a, another way. What if vocation is family? I wanna go after this idea. So in order to get into that idea in our gathering, I want to cue in on one verse. So if there's one passage for you to take away, it's this brilliant, fiery invitation in the book of Deuteronomy to the warriors of Israel. And I want to walk um, through this idea. So the Israeli army is preparing for battle. And this is what's said. When you go to war against your enemy and you see horses and chariots and soldiers far outnumbering you, do not recoil in fear. God, your God, who brought you out of Egypt is with you. When the battle is about to begin, let the priests come forward and speak to the troops. Okay, so it's a battle cry. The troops are, are mounting. You picture the epic tales. And then the priest steps forward and says to the men of Israel, attention, Israel, in a few minutes, you're going to do battle with your enemies. Do not waver in resolve. Do not fear. Do not hesitate. Do not panic. God, your God is right there with you, fighting with you against your enemy, fighting to win. So guys, with this passage, what I want you to think about is just the epic films and the stories that have moved your heart from sports to war of men being called up into a heroic mission. You know this. It's the moment that in some ways we feel like we're most made for, that we feel fear. And the invitation is to choose courage with the promise. What if God is with us? What would it be like? So I want to take us into that scripture, Deuteronomy 20, and I want to use some film just to capture our hearts. I have a long sequence that Alex helped me put together. It's about 13 minutes long, and I want you to just enjoy it. You know all of these stories, and if you don't, you, you, you will want to. But these are some of the great epic film moments where men are called to arms that are engaged in battle. This is the moment that we were made for. So just sit back, relax, enjoy, and take in this, ma- this montage of the masculine invitation.
4: Atlet! from now I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be and it will be so. Hold the line, stay with me. You find yourself alone riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled for you are in Elysium and you're already dead. What we do in life, echoes in eternity. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable
3: fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves
4: on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, Why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. (laughs) I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men what men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight oh! against that? No, we will run, and we will live. Aye, right. fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least a while.
5: that we now had here, but one
3: ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today.
4: What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No, oh, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Rather, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named and arouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly on the vigil, feast his neighbours and say, tomorrow is Saint Crispin's." Emily strip his sleeve and show his scars and say these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world but we in it shall be remembered we few we happy few we band of brothers for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that thought with us upon St. Crespen's day. sovereign lord, bestow yourself with speed. The French are bravely in their battle set and will, with all expedients, march upon us. All things are ready if our minds be so. Punish the man whose mind is backward now. That does not wish more help from England, cuz. God's will, my liege. Would you and I alone, without more help, can fight this royal battle? Yeah! You know your places.
6: I don't know what to say really. Three minutes to the biggest battle of our professional lives, all comes down to today. Either we heal as a team or we're gonna crumble inch by inch, play by play till we're finished. We're in hell right now, gentlemen. Believe me. And we can stay here, get the shit kicked out of us, or we can fight our way back into the light. We can climb out of hell, one inch at a time. Now, I can't do it for you. I'm too old. I look around, I see these young, faces and i think i mean i made every wrong choice a middle-aged man can make i uh i pissed away all my money believe it or not i chased off anyone who's ever loved me and lately i can't even stand the face i see in america You know, when you get old in life, things get taken from. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small, I mean, one half a step too late or too early and you don't quite make it one half second too slow too fast you don't quite catch it the inches we need are everywhere around us they're in every break of the game every minute every second on this team we fight for that on this team we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know, when we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing.
4: Between living and dying. I'll
6: tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die Who's going to win that itch? And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch.
4: Because that's what
6: living is. There's six inches in front of your face. Now, I can't make you do it. You got to look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now, I think you're going to see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're going to see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're going to do the same for him. That's a team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals. That's football, guys. (laughs) That's all it is. Now, what are you going to
3: do?
2: notice your heart notice what you feel
0: where do you go what comes up i think it's really important to do that heart check-in to say where do you go with those stories because we're not a bunch of 20 year olds okay so first off there's inspiration but there's reality there's reality of our lives i think they're are just themes of um these, this ambivalence that was even coming up for, for I know me and some of our hearts of yes, yes, that's what we're made for. And that's what I've been doing for 20 years. I told my crew, just living and dying for that inch. And that's true. And yet there's weariness. And what do I do with that? And I want to address kind of the part two, because that's what we're made for. Those films are tapping into. The story from which every other story flows. But so often we get the cart before the horse, and I want to go into a fascinating passage that's the rest of Deuteronomy 20 that I want you to sit with for quite some time, Um, but I want to introduce it today. So Right after that, the heels of that. So, guys, what we just went into in Deuteronomy 20 was the call to battle, whether it was the football field or the, you know, the the fields of Bannockburn or Sterling or the feet, you know, St. Crispian's Day with Henry V. It was the call to arms. And here's what's said right after that. Okay, to the same troops being called to that battle. So take yourself to that locker room. Take yourself to the Battle of Sterling. Take yourself to Henry V. And then it says, let the officer step up and speak to the troops. If there's a man here who has built a new house, but he has not dedicated it, let him go home right now, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate his home. If there's a man here who has planted a vineyard, But he hasn't enjoyed the grapes. Let him go home right now, lest he die in battle and another man enjoy his grapes. Is there a man here engaged to marry who hasn't taken his wife? Let him go go home right now, lest he die in battle and another man take her. And so there are all these invitations after a call to arms, after the battle speech to say, but, but what if, what if there are undone things at home, then you're actually not ready to charge the field. And it goes on, the next verse, the officer continues, and is there a man here who is wavering in his resolve? Or afraid. Let him go home right now so that he doesn't infect his fellows with timidity and a cowardly spirit. So he says, not only unfinished business, but also a condition of his soul such that he's not actually ready to fight. And by a simple osmosis, the spiritual atmosphere that he brings is not going to strengthen with resolve the other men in this army and so you see this wild juxtaposition where it's a call to arms and yet there are these big profound statements saying walk away walk away actually don't fight actually don't charge the field actually don't step on that battlefield what do what do we do with that it's a fascinating text it's been said that a true warrior fights not against what's in front of him, but he fights what's, what's for, what's behind him. And I want to take it a, even a step farther. What if the true warrior fights not only for what's behind him, but from what's behind him? Okay, so I want to propose this fascinating idea, guys, that what I believe wholeheartedly is revival looks like family. That actually the worldview in which we're born was meant to be family first. And I'm using the term family in parentheses for a moment, but actually the condition of the heart of the warrior and the king is actually shaped by the life that he is cultivating in recovering in family. Then his vocation is defined primarily not what he does on the battlefield, but actually what he does and what he creates and who he becomes behind closed doors. And this is where it's so important as like-hearted kings to understand the times, Isaiah 44, 19, to discern the times, to know the times in which we live. Okay, so here's just a simple example. 200 years ago, right? Like, that's a breath. That's a few generations, 200 years ago, over 90% of people lived on farms. Okay, now today, 200 years later, less than 1% of humanity lives on a farm. So just think about that. You think about relating to the scriptures. Think think about understanding the parable of the sower and the seeds that was from 2000 years ago, 200 years ago, everybody actually lived on a farm, statistically speaking, and now statistically speaking, no one does. It's a radical reorientation to understand the times and allow the gospel to permeate the age in which we're in. So you've heard me say before, there are certain spirits at war in the world. There's hatred, there's death, there's division. Those spirits are, are at work in the world in pronounced ways. But our age, our generation, when we look back 50 years from now, I don't believe we'll primarily be defined by um, spirits of hatred or violence or division. We live in an age of hyper individualism and acceleration of change. I mean, I've got news for you post COVID. There is no new normal. The new normal is change. And COVID has ushered in an atmosphere that's hyper-accelerating, that change is the new normal. And so if you want to parent your children well, if you want to grandparent well, if you want to parent your own heart well, change is the new normal. And I I hate that, but that's the story in which we're, we're born into. And so this idea of recovering what God meant by family is absolutely central, I believe, to our role as, of kings. And that's why starting with this question at the very beginning, a home, what is home? What does it feel like to be home for your soul? And what is it? what does it feel like to be in your home? Okay, these are like really important ideas. And what I wanna suggest is if we recover a, a true kind of lens of seeing the gospels we will see this through all of human history that god has preserved rescued recovered and advanced the gospel primarily through family that our first and foremost vocation will always be family before what what's happened in our world of dividing work and family so what i'm trying to drive to is we as westerners in In post-industrialization, hyper-individualism, we live in a world that divides very fiercely work and family. And the gospels don't divide those things. The gospels don't divide vocation and family. And so we have to think of terms of family being vocation and vocation. Being family. And what's fascinating, so you look through through the, the, the scriptures and they, they tell us the story. The first um in Genesis chapter one through chapter 12 is the story of one family, right? We begin with Adam and Eve in the first assault of the gospel when Eve, you know, evil enters through Eve. And then Adam's passivity is the division of family. It's the division of marriage. And then you have Cain and Abel, and you have these battles within family. And then it goes on and on until the Babylonians, and all of a sudden you have you know the Tower of Babel. And, and I love Peterson's translation. They literally use bricks. Bricks were the first cell phone, okay? Bricks were the the leverage of technology. So Steve Jobs, if he lived in... In the Babylonia, he would have built the Tower of Babel because that they leveraged technology. And in Peterson's translation says they wanted to build a, a, a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves, right? And so you see the destruction of humanity that happened through one family. And so what's fascinating is then we pick up in Genesis 12 to 50, and the whole story is God's rescue of a broken humanity, which is now widespread with people groups and places and language and civilizations and complexity. And he does it through one family. He does it through the family of Abraham. And what's fascinating is all through scriptures, there's this narrative of God is very uh, intent on communicating the message of the gospel Through family, and then you have that genealogy in Matthew. It's like the most boring chapter of all the scriptures, of this person beget this person, and this Obadad beget Jehus. And what? Who are these people, and why is this relevant? But there is a storyline that traces back to the family of Adam and Eve, and God works through family. And what's fascinating in this passage, if you'll study it, is one of the most beautiful scriptures. You know, in the call of Abraham, the father of nations to rescue all of humanity. Uh, It says that, you know, Genesis 22, 18, and all nations of earth will be blessed by your offspring because you've obeyed my command. So the rescue comes through one man. But what's fascinating is that kind of pronouncement of Abraham rescuing the people of God, rescuing all the nations comes again and again and again. Paul even references it when he talks about the work of Jesus is to fulfill the work of Abraham to bless all nations. But the word used there, sometimes it's family and sometimes it's nations. And if you look at different translations and different verses, you'll see sometimes it's to bless all families, to recover all families. And sometimes it's to recover all nations. And you guys can do the studying. But in the original language, there's two words. One is mispach and the other is goi. And one is a very feminine translation that means very intimate. He's recovering families and that means a few, Few intimate people appointed to be a unit and then the other is masculine and very broad and it's very symbolic and it's very mythic and so what i simply want to point out is when you unpack the scriptures what you see is the story of god recovering family working through family And most of his great work happens on that intimate level. Like Jesus modeled family. Jesus lived in family for 30 years. And we basically know almost nothing about his life for 30 years of living in family. And then he has three years of ministry where he is He is pushing the boundaries on what we've come to understand as family when he talks about who is my mother, who is my brother, those who do the will of God. And so that's kind of level two. But here's what I'm after is part one of this conversation in our last teaching is what if the primary work of God is a work of reparenting us as sons? We are coming home to a loving father and a loving mother that he's repairing our attachment to God that through dad were forged, gaining love and validation, but mom were formed, reestablishing this sense of worthiness of love and belonging that we know who we are, our identity is so solid that we live out of this sure-hearted place and bring that strength to the world. And what if, as the part two of that, as he repairs We're literally reparented. He repairs our parenting, being parented by God, that the primary expression of the gospel is how we do family, how we fight for family, how we live in family. And someday when we come home and God asks us, like, give an account of your life. What if it's primarily not about our work in the world? What if it's primarily not about our gifting and not about our vocation, but it's actually primarily about the legacy that we've invested and infused for our family and how our family plays a role for generations to come. And I want to invite you to give that some really honest consideration. What if that the entire work of us as men, that we think big because we dream and we're builders and we're strategists and everything in our world is about leverage. And in this world of specialization, we compartmentalize family as something we're responsible for, but our work is something we're accountable for. But what if if we have the cart before the horse and we're actually supposed to start small? It's actually supposed to be simple that we're meant to build and rebuild family, cutting off generational curses and reestablishing the relationships that are actually the hardest and holiest to tend to in our lives and reveal the most about who we are and who we've become. I want to go to a clip because I want to take this one step deeper because I'm looking for you to be able to experience this redemptive interpretation in the stories we love. So, Alex, if you can take us into Act of Valor, here, here, here's a scene, you know, just an awesome, heroic Navy SEALs film, true stories. And this is the behind the scenes of this moment that we're stepping into, the call to battle, and yet the readying of the life that you live from for the battle. So let's go into Act of Valor. Our
5: platoon was headed downrange. We had Wimey, our sniper. He grew up in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Most excitement he found as a kid was bowling frozen turkeys down the aisle at the grocery store. Ray, our comms guy, our radio man. He grew up in East L.A. gangland. He had a silver star for pulling a wounded teammate out of the fray. Sonny, he was made of granite. This guy didn't even do push-ups because he was afraid his chest was gonna get too big. A.J. joined the teams late in his 30s. He'd been a Muay Thai fighter early in life. Before that, he grew up dirt poor and turned dead. Mikey had 20 years in the teams. But as humble as he was, you'd never even know it. He kept a picture of his wife in his helmet and a lock of her hair in his pocket. Quiet as the breeze. I finally seen your chief. I couldn't really tell you much about him. Other than I'd rather take a knife into a gunfight than have to be interrogated by him. That last night at home, you think about how you could have been a better dad, a better husband. That bedtime story you should have read or that anniversary you forgot. You don't expect your family to understand what you're doing. You just hope they'll accept it. When you get home, you hope you can pick up right where you left off.
1: Oh, nice.
5: so, so yeah, Putting the wild bunch down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, senior, you mind giving us a couple minutes, man?
2: No, you got bad thing.
5: Thanks. Hey, fellas, you know, I only got so many speeches in a given workup or deployment, but uh, it's like Chief and I said right at the beginning of this platoon, once we step off on campaign, once this bird's ready and we're downrange, everything back home needs to be in balance. We're not going to be worth a damn to each other or ourselves if we get over there and something's out of whack. I mean, if things aren't right with the family, things aren't right with the finances or something's off, it's going to put us all out of balance. So we need to have that tight before we launch. If somebody's got an issue, bring it up. Chief can take care of it. I can take care of it. Everybody's got each other's back. Let's make sure we lock that down so when we're ready to roll. All our focus is on the mission. For all those who've been downrange, it's us and those like us. Damn few.
0: Guys, there's so many powerful um, elements of that clip. But just even what the Holy Spirit's pointing out to me and today, just that, that phrase I just wrote down, you know, we're not worth a damn to ourselves or to others um, if we're not right at home. In other words, there, there is a preparation that's required relationally, soulfully over time in order that we can actually even show up and do the work whatever the work is but actually in fact that work downrange whatever your downrange is is actually an extension of family and here's what i love is the men i'm watching this unfold right the first become good soil intensive we did with 12 men uh last june was our decade anniversary and 11 of those guys came to my house and sat around a campfire and i put out the challenge of give it a decade And not only did they think that was just ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous. I was like, that's insanity. But like, I want to live in such a way where God has to show up or I'm host. Like I just want God because if it doesn't work, I know I put it all on God. And we were around the campfire and you guys, the stories of these men that had given a decade to this, everyone was a little banged up and there was more joy and more strength, more maturity, more healing. Everyone had stories of tremendous suffering and personal costs. And yet there was a well-being around that campfire. And I sat there after everyone left in the dark, just in awe of God saying, it works. It works. I'll be hosting another 12 guys. I'll be reaching out to them later this summer. Our first intensives were just 12 guys a year. But guys, what what I'm after is this risk of what if, what if this is the story because those men, okay, when I'm tracking with men being transformed, the first crop of become good soil intensive guys are now becoming the facilitators. They're the ones leading these next younger men. And here's what I see, they're blurring the lines. I'm not talking like, don't let false comparison take you out. I just made a list this morning. I'm thinking about the men blurring the lines. It's an ER doc, it's a CFO, it's a physical therapist, it's someone that owns their own business, it's a financial planner, it's a pastor, it's a restaurateur. The men as they mature in this message are blurring the lines between work and family. It's becoming one unified story and they're understanding, we are understanding that home is the primary battleground for our holiness. And our holiness, our wholeheartedness is what we need to do our other vocational work in the world. And so I've just been holding on to this um, you know, this statement. Just this has been a mantra for me. Live at home, love at home, thrive at home, family first. And it's been it's just like this mantra to say to say to the whole world bugger off i'm not in a hurry because my god's not in a hurry and before i save the world i need to allow god to save my own soul and these few are the first ones being entrusted my care i only have a covenant relationship with one human being on the on the face of the earth and by design, I then have these two children. And then we get into the deep theology of what is family and what does God mean by family? And and, and there's some maturity there. And so we can't unpack everything here. But what I want to invite you to, to is what if, what if that everything, that part of the fruit of this mission message is everything spiritual and that our story is one unified story of masculine initiation. And that initiation will begin to blur the lines between work and family. And I can't answer that for you. I can just tell you a hundred stories of how godly men are doing it well, of blurring the lines and bringing their best and their most to home, not only to bring their strength, but as the primary source of their maturation, of their healing, their freedom, and ultimately their joy. How do you blur the lines? What's your frontier? What's the next step? very practically, you operationalize this in your world, what would shift? What, what would you, where would you risk? Where would you come out of hiding? Where would you need a father to shepherd your masculine initiation if you allowed this central idea? Vocation is family. Family is vocation to be true. Guys, this idea of home, the concept of home, is a very fundamental idea that we need to wrestle with as men, as kings, as men being trained as warriors, and as we're consenting to the slow and steady of masculine initiation. And that's why I wanted to start with that Patch Adams clip, an idea of what is home. It's an origin. It's a destination. And what if that one of our primary heroic, loving acts as men is to create home? to recover home, to define home, and to make home where other hearts want to be welcomed. And then that culture is actually what we bring to the full range of our kingdom in domain. And so I want you to think about these questions as kind of homework of what does it feel like to be in my home? the home that I have cultivated. And if I just outsource so much of that, that I would need to ask my wife what it's like because I got nothing. That's important. And what is home for you? Because home is a deeply, deeply spiritual ache and longing, right? Probably one of the top three most important masculine quotes I've ever heard. It would just change the world if we can understand it. When Frederick Buechner said, what I, the beauty I longed for beyond the beauty I longed for in her. Right? He's talking about a woman he fell in love with when he was 18 years old in Bermuda. And he knew it wasn't her. It was the beauty I longed for beyond the beauty I longed for in her. If the masculine soul could get that, it would heal the world. And that ties into our last conversation on secure attachment, because that's the heart of God. That's what he's looking for. And God is available in robust measure. So what is home and how do we recover home? Closing story, uh, my son was in the state championship football game, sophomore so proud of that kid just he models the slow and steady work and he's a dangerous defenseman he's the leading tackler as a sophomore and the short of the story is they lost by 1.34 to 35 with a fumble inside the 20 yard line and it was like these gladiators were on the field and I just you know I'm on the field looking for my son after the game and and uh you know the team's crying and it was like the agony of defeat such a good moment masculine initiation and I found my son afterwards and he's bloody and he's sweaty and he's this tall and we just embrace each other father and son he said dad I did my best I did my best and I just I love you son I love you son that's all I could say last the next night was the banquet and the coach got up and I will out him partially and say he may or may not be on this call but coach got up and here's what he said to a room full of knuckleheads, half of them on Accutane, popping their pimples, not knowing up from down, trying to make their way through high school. And he looked at this room of kids and the head coach said, I love you. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And the room just came into the present moment. These guys fought so hard and they fought through COVID and they fought through quarantines and so much loss for our kids. You know that our kids have suffered so much. And the coach said this, he said, I want to rematch. And he said, but I don't want to rematch tomorrow. And I don't want to rematch next week. I want to rematch 25 years from now when you are fathers and you are husbands and you will be victorious. You see, guys, that's a man who's blurred the lines. It's a man, I don't know a man who's more passionate about coaching, who's more passionate about winning than this man, who's more passionate about football. And what makes him a great coach is football is a small story that's set in the context of a larger story of the masculine initiation. He's pastoring a community shepherding young boys more than any youth pastor that I've met so far. He's training warriors. He's speaking identity. And he said, the real rematch is when your fathers and when your husbands, that's what we're making you into. See friends, what if all of life, what if vocation is family and family is vocation and what you choose to do in cultivating a home, creating family, recovering family, becoming family for orphans and widows is actually the primary energy of what you bring into eternity. And that's the energy you bring into the other depth and dimension of your kingdom. Because what we experienced in that football team this year is we were family. But better said, we were families of families. We were families of families. And that's what I find in the Old Testament. Abraham was a family. And so when Joshua says, as for me and my family, which is the best translation of that phrase, we will serve the Lord, the gospel always advances one family at a time. And so I want to invite you to blur the lines and I want you to risk recovering family. And really become students of the hour, and we're in, we're in, and understand the unique battles, the unique war that's set against masculinity in its fullness, bringing its strength in this hour on the earth. And with every problem comes a possibility and a provision straight from the heart of God. So, friends, life is one inch by inch, and in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die that'll win that inch. So what are you living for? What are you dying for? Inch by inch. What would it look like to live at home? To love at home? To thrive at home? To family first? To live your eulogy so that those closest to you, most entrusted to your care, will say not only was I loved well by this man, but I watched him change. I watched him slowly and steadily receive love, receive acceptance, receive care, and become the kind of man that could bring his strength to us, to rescue a generation and change a world by starting with us. Friends, we've covered a lot of ground in this BGS podcast episode. And there were a lot of questions woven throughout this teaching. I want to invite you to pause before you go off to other things and just sit with these ideas, sit with these questions and give it a few minutes just in silence and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate. What is your frontier in all of this? What's being exposed? What's being pressed against? What is the invitation from the heart of God for you for what's next? Let's just linger here for a minute.
1: Holy Spirit, shine your light.
2: Friends, it's by day and by decade. And this sort of topic,
0: these sort of questions, the scriptures, the quotes, the ideas, it takes a leaning in, it takes time to ingest. And so my encouragement to you and my invitation is revisit this podcast sometime with journal in hand, with pen in hand, where you can reflect and dig deep. Go after some of these primary sources that I've quoted or films that I've turned to. Revisit it and allow the Father to continue to till the soil of your soul. It's an honor to journey these miles with you as a fellow pilgrim and apprentice in kingdom living. I invite you to share this podcast with the few, the few that you know that are saying yes, that want more of God, more of his life, more of his care and more of his kingdom. It's a privilege to walk these miles with you, and I look forward to being back together with you on a future
1: episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.